Hello, everybody. It is Audacity at its finest with Joanna Perry, and I am here with a very special guest. He is a real estate investor, a published author, and has taken himself from homeless to financially independent. Ryan Nickel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm My super pleasure. excited. I've always had so many questions to ask you, but never a situation where I was able to um, extract that good information. So I'm really happy because now my audience can um, learn from you at the same time that I am. I look forward to it. Yeah. So um, the three books that you have written are Trouble Selling Your House, Seven Strategies to Get Your House Sold Fast. Um, also, Why You Can't Sell Your House, How to Sell Your House When It Won't Sell. So those books are becoming more and more relevant, I bet. Yeah. The first one was written, Why You Can't Sell Your House, was written in 2015, um, when we were still kind of like digging out, our, out of the, mm -hmm. the market. But Trouble Selling Your House, I actually uh, published that one um, like right at 2020. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go. And then Forbearance hit. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> oh, can I say shit? Yeah. Oh, okay. Shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's definitely like way more commonplace these days where people are just like, and as more and more inventory is sitting on the market, mm -hmm. yeah, you're not going to be able to sell your house. Like, mm -hmm. things are changing, and interest rates are, what you said today, what, seven and a quarter? Yeah, the 10-year bond didn't have such a great morning. It's a great opportunity for me. Yeah, 30 years. <laughs> okay, good. So that's a great way to, like, hedge your bet, right? So Yeah, this is this is my buying season right now. I'm going into this with, like, just balls to the wall. This is I'm going to set myself up in the next four or five years for the rest of my life. I'm already set up, but this is, like, generational wealth this time. Yeah, true pros make money in, in every market, and so you're it's just a, adjusting to the appetite that's out there now and um you're also really creative with the way that you do it so yes it's easier in the down market i can tell you that and then the other book which is my favorite is <laughs> defending yourself from foreclosure proven strategies to isolate the fraud and neutralize the bullying tactics that banks use to steal your home yes and banks do steal your home they want your home so bad they make so much money on it in fact i lost my house in foreclosure in 2010. really i did yeah i was so it was uh it was a day we got kicked out the day after christmas and my wife was pregnant with our second child and my daughter was one years old Wow. And it sucked so bad. It was one of like the worst experiences of my life. And I thought, my God, I'll never get into real estate ever again. And at that point, I was already out. Like I had a mortgage company, and then the crash happened in 08. And I'm like, well, at least I got a duplex here. We can mm -hmm. live here. And then, you know, shit hit the fan, and they, they took the house. And you know, here I am now in real estate. Like the, the most trying time of my life turned into a benefit. I'm able to, to use that experience to just to relate with people and tell them, like, yes, banks are trying to sell your house. This is what they're doing. And you can, like, you know. And, mm -hmm. and I, just, I go down the list with them. And they're like, oh, my God, yes, this is exactly what they're doing to me, too. And I'm like, well, hey. So you've been in the position in the shoes of those people. So when you approach them about yes. potentially selling their home, uh, you're able to connect with them on the level that they're literally feeling. Yeah, I'm very empathetic. I don't want them to lose their house like I lost my house. And, and to be honest, I don't actually approach them to sell their house. Mm -hmm. I'm as a resource. Mm -hmm. I'm like, here's my book. This is going to help you. If you can prevent from losing the house, like, please. But if you can't, mm -hmm. give me a call and I'll help you. I support that because as a banker and a broker, I don't want clients to lose their home either. And no. I certainly don't want, you know, the top five servicers to foreclose and, and retain their what could be generational wealth for them yeah. i do want to see the mortgage executed and paid monthly to mitigate losses so that you know rates don't go up for other consumers but through your uh, philosophy and the way that you your system is set up that happens so it's a win-win-win it and, is and if i knew yeah. what I, if i knew then what i know now i wouldn't have lost my house i can tell you that <sighs> touche and that's the main reason that motivated me to write the book Mm -hmm. I was like, this is a book that I wrote to myself. If I could go back in time, I would have given it to myself. Yeah, because that's a really painful experience. That sucked, man. Yeah. Because like, here's the thing that people don't talk about that emotionally happens to a person. Like, so um, my wife wasn't working at the time, especially she's never worked in, at all during our marriage. And so I, I was the breadwinner. And so emotionally and psychologically, I felt like a fuck up. Mm -hmm. I felt like a failure. Can I say that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what your, your podcast is, but like, I felt like a failure. So I wasn't sleeping at night. I was losing weight. I became unattractive to my wife. I wasn't having sex. And I mean, all these things that like behind the scenes that people don't talk about was what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, 
there are marriages that are falling apart because of someone's financial situation. And if you can solve the financial situation, you can save a family as well. Mm-hmm. And like that, that was my motivation for like running to write this book because and there's no reason for someone to like dissolve their family because they can't get their shit in order, you know, financially. Because mm-hmm. bad things happen to good people all the time. Like that's the reality of it. Yeah, that's kind of the nature of the world that we're in is that, you know, bad things can happen to good people, but um, I guess the mindset, right, mm-hmm. is how you move forward. And, so I stuck my head in the hole and I lost the house. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so hide from it and see if it goes away. I was waiting for someone to rescue me, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I want someone to come just like, you know, take this burden from me and mm-hmm. no one's going to come. No yeah. one's going to rescue you. Unless I'm not going to do want to give you my book. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. And your stomping ground is kind of the Yuba City area, right? You're a resident of Yuba City. Oh, an hour radius. So Yuba City, up the Chico, over to Grass Valley, down some parts of Sacramento. But I don't, I don't play in your, your playground here. Mm-hmm. And you're a devoted dad. He's got five children. Um, and you can see from all the social media, they're always taking time individually to do things and build relationships, you know, daughter, father, son, daughter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, since you um, have kind of pivoted yourself into financial freedom where you don't have some of the same constraints daily that some of the other nine to five workers do have, um, you've been able to create memories for vacations with mm-hmm. your kids, right? Yeah. So where'd you guys just go? Uh, we just went to Disneyland, went to LA, Disneyland, um, oh. the beach. That was fun. So we took a week off, went down there. Mm-hmm. That was fun. So every 90 days is basically when we try to like to get away. So quarterly? Yes. I think that's healthy. It keeps you in a good mood. Keeps the it kids does. grateful. <laughs> Whenever you go away, you always miss home. So then <laughs> So, so we're yeah, we miss home for sure. So we're down there, we're down in, in, in Anaheim, and we go to Disneyland for a few days, and then we go to the beach. And I swear to God, my kids are like, we're at the beach, and we're just having a blast. And my two older kids, we're talking to each other, and they're like, this is so much fun. This is more fun than Disneyland. I'm like, shit, this is more fun than Disneyland. <laughs> Next year, maybe we won't go to Disneyland. Yeah, like, I'll save I save myself like $5,500, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, holy God. She's like, I didn't need a $9 churro to have a great day. Yeah. Hell yeah. So yeah, just go to the beach. That's all my kids wanted to do is go to the beach. I'm like, all right, next year, no dude, I'm take that one down. That's like the time I took my daughter, Audrina, to Universal Studios. We had this epic trip, like three days, and we're, we're in the car going home, like, baby, what was your favorite part of the trip? She looks at me, she goes, the bread. The bread. She's talking about the room service free bread that comes with your meal. Kids are so funny, man. I was like, I could take you to the Holiday Inn downtown next time. We can right? Just- well, I'm thinking like 50, a $15 parking at like Huntington Beach is like all they needed. I'm like, oh my God, this is what we're going to do next time. <laughs> nice. Um, so one of the things I want to focus on for my kind of audience and also for myself, because I'm learning from, from you as we go, mm-hmm. um, is basically how to make money in real estate, but through distressed properties. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that I, I've, I've seen about your success is that you have creative financing strategies. Mm-hmm. And so having those creative kind of options, would you say it allows somebody to get into income generating properties who doesn't have stacks and stacks of cash or savings or disposable income? Just yeah, chilling? for sure. Definitely. So when I got into this, like I was, I was broke and I was homeless for a little bit and, and I was also on food stamps. So I couldn't go get a loan. I was unbankable and I was able to acquire uh, my first year, uh, seven properties with none of my own capital at all. It's definitely doable. How many of those properties do you still have? So this is in Savannah, Georgia. I still have I still have two of those. I have one in um, in South Carolina, one in Savannah. Of those seven, two of the, the original gangster properties still yes. cash flowing, still part of your children's generational wealth. Yes, still part of your legacy. Yeah, awesome. And, and I know you're, you're going to ask me about this. So I'm just going to have an answer it right now. How is you said you know, you're going to ask me how to manage those things long term, like you know, from mm-hmm. a distance? Super easy. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I'm not a landlord. I'm a lien lord. I sold yeah. them. I sold them as well on seller financing terms. You did. Okay, so they're making a monthly payment to you, so you have no obligation. I'm the bank. You're the bank. Yeah, so they take care of the maintenance, the repairs, the upkeep, all of that stuff, the taxes, the insurance. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're going to go rent a car, you're not going to wash it before you turn it back in. Right. But if you buy a car, you're going to detail it out, take care of it, you know? Mm-hmm. These people are doing the same thing with their house. So I have a lot of people listening who they've bought their first home or they're gearing up and about to close on their first home, and that's the extent of their real estate investment. Okay. okay fantastic. Good job. So, <laughs> so for folks like that who are wanting to kind of look at how to make more money, how to have 
um, passive income coming in every month through real estate, but without necessarily just going out there and putting 20% down and buying a property, which can be upwards of $100,000 out of pocket, mm -hmm. you have a couple of creative financing options. One is contract for deed, and the other one is seller-backed financing. But can you tell us about contract for deed and how that specifically works? Because yeah. I was shocked. Sure, no problem. Um, I'll just do a recent example. So we just uh, took over a property in, um, in Red Bluff. So the way a contract for deed works is it's like when you buy a car from the bank when you don't have enough money to buy the car outright. You, you buy the car, you're the registered owner of the car, you pay taxes and insurance on the car, but you actually don't have a pink slip. Mm -hmm. You only get the pink slip when you make the final payment, and then they mail you the pink slip. Same concept that works with the contract for deed is you don't actually get the title to the property until you make the final payment. Mm -hmm. And most people understand that, that concept because they purchased a car before from a bank. Like, okay, yeah, so once I make the final payment, then the deed's in my name. But in the meantime, you're the registered owner, you're paying the taxes, you're in the insurance, the IRS recognizes you as the owner of the property. You get the, Great, so you have the full benefit of, of being the owner of the property, yeah, even though you, you, your name is not yet recorded on the deed because it's subject to what? Um, well, it's subject to them finally making that final payment. Mm -hmm. They have to basically uh, honor the entire contract when the contract has been satisfied, which is either they can satisfy it through um, selling the property or refinancing the property. So I have a lot of people that just will refinance. My interest rate is not going to be the best, I mean, a non-traditional. Mm -hmm. um, actually, though, a lot of my interest rates now are actually better than the bank interest rates. Well, when you have that portfolio money, you can set the margin. I can. So the margin, <laughs> that's all I worry about is the margin. So the margins are there. So, for example, there's this house in Red Bluff, and we picked it up for um, uh, 360 and we sold it on a contract for deed for 450 and they put $45,000 down. So they put 10% down. And then um, we have $2,000 a month, uh, no, $2,500 a month payments with them, and our, our obligation to the bank is all Mm -hmm. So we're cash flowing about $700. So walk me through it. Like, I really want to break it down for everyone, including myself, because I've been doing this a long time, and I still don't fully understand the concept of uh, A, B, and C. So let's pretend, so I'm behind on my mortgage. Let's, so I'm, I'm, we'll call me JoJo. Hi, JoJo. Hi. I'm a hoarder. <laughs> my top shoes. My house is a hot mess, and nobody could purchase it from me because a bank will not write a loan on my collateral, because, again, it's a hot mess. So. Here I am, I'm behind, the bank is calling me, they're calling me at work, they're phoning a friend, they called my mama, all of these things, they're starting the foreclosure proceeding, and all of a sudden, I get a knock at my door, I open the door, and it's you. Okay. What happens? Um, I basically just ask what's going on. Like, what I'm happened? behind, how, how I it's sad, I got a sad story, and life happened, and this is so, where I'm at. So here's the situation, we've worked with several hoarders as well. Um, hoarders, that's a mental condition. Okay. And it's, it's, it's basically, it's an attachment disorder. Is they cannot separate themselves themselves from their belongings, and so hoarders is a very difficult situation. Just to tell you that in, in general, because they don't want to leave the house either, mm -hmm. because there's this anxiety that if I leave, that they're going to lose a part of them. Okay. So, um, if this is the situation, there has to be a come to Jesus meeting where it's like, okay, you're going to lose the house and you're going to be put on the street. The bank doesn't care. So either I can help you move somewhere else safely with all of your stuff, or the bank is just going to forcibly remove you. Right, and so you will actually, if you're going to be purchasing that property from them, you will work out as part of the negotiation money that you give to them to help them relocate. Exactly, and we'll move their stuff and all that. We don't want that stuff. Rather than just the bank foreclose on them, push, yeah. kick them out. Yeah. yeah. But before we ever do that, um, I go through the process of like, let's look at what we can do. We do a forbearance, and we do a loan modification. And nine times out of ten, if they're behind on payments, it's because they don't have income. Mm -hmm. Because you want to get my, JoJo's, mortgage current and on time. Right? Uh, I want you to stay in the house because here's what's going to happen. If I can get you to stay in the house, the remedy you haven't remedied the problem. I've just helped you. Mm -hmm. You're going to fall right back into it again. And who are you going to call? You're going to call me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be the person. And you're going to call me way before it gets the public record, way before every other investor sees that this house is now on the market or potentially going to be on the market. Mm -hmm. 
And that's usually where I get my best deals. So I call you, hey, I'm behind again. Again. And like, okay. I just, it's not going to work out. I can't keep it. I, you know, I've realized that I need to go and I want you to help me do that. Yes. And then you offer a price to so what happens, cover my loan. So I don't even do that. So what happens is, is the, the problem is, is the payment. Mm -hmm. People are struggling with the payment. It's the burden of this payment that's just crushing them. And so if I can say, look, if I can remove this payment from you, how would your life look? Where would you go? What would you do? Mm -hmm. And so if I can offer that debt relief, then they breathe and go somewhere else without that problem. So how does their payment go away, but they can still live there? I don't do that. Okay. Actually, I've done that one time. <laughs> he was a hoarder. Okay. Um, and he was, uh, he is still alive. He's, uh, he's 82 years old and um, we gave him a life estate, but his mortgage was only $40,000. So you're like, hey, I'll pay the $40,000 mortgage payment every month. You're going to go away. I'm going to give you money to relocate. No, he's staying in the house. But like in JoJo's situation. In JoJo's situation, yeah, in JoJo's situation, I'm going to give you, you know, a fair amount of money. If you owe if you owe $40,000 and it's a $400,000 house, I'm probably going to give you a little bit more than, you know, two grand to go get a deposit on something like that. So you're literally something. purchasing the property for what they owe against it plus some walking money? Yeah. Okay. And then you make the monthly payment. So on that $40,000. The credit shoots up. Let's say the payment's like... $400 a month, but then you turn around and rent it out for fair market rent. Yes. And so naturally you're cash flowing positive 1500 just on that one property. And the bank didn't have to foreclose. They didn't lose out on the interest that they were expecting to collect. The person who was living there has been relocated and is in a better situation with a housing payment that they can afford and manage. And then you are creating cash flow for yourself, your family, mm -hmm. a portfolio of real estate that equity, appreciates everything. equity, not as, and not to mention all the tax incentives. Yeah. Bruh. See, here's what I thought. I thought that in order to close a sale, in order to obtain ownership in a property, that all liens, including mortgages for that homeowner, had to be paid and closed and reconveyed at the time so of that's sale. So they lie perpetuated by the banks because they want to control, manipulate the market in the situation. And we are here to tell the truth. And I see, I was in mortgage banking for uh, from 2005 years, not as much as 2003 to 2008. And I, I too was under the impression, I'm like, this is illegal, what you're doing is wrong. When I went to my mentor in Georgia, he's like, <laughs> Like, you're gonna have to unlearn everything you've learned, son. And I'm like, all right, teach me, Dad. <laughs> I, it's like the single, like that blew my mind because that's the key. Like you literally just gave me the key to understanding because all you have to do is find a distressed property with someone who's in it who can't afford it, and then find out how much they owe. Yes, yeah, and then determine whether that meets your goals or not. So a day for you is that like looks like just driving around looking for distressed properties. Driving or? for dollars, yeah. Driving for dollars. That's, that's what you call it. it. I call it, yeah. I, my, my, my city is broken up into grids, and so I'll go and I'll spend these these times and. Here's the thing, like if you're driving for dollars, your your mind, your eye doesn't see things until you go over multiple times and you're like, oh God, look at this house. It's definitely on like the downward cycle here. Really? And I walk my neighborhood. Uh, the house that my that that um so we just moved into a brand new house um in January. I walk my neighborhood, so I walk daily. I walk my neighborhood, I'm like, there's something wrong with this house. Mm -hmm. I look it up, sure enough, the lady died, it's a reverse mortgage, it's just sitting there, bought that property. So the house doesn't have to be distressed. It's the the person who's paying the payment that's in distress. Exactly. Common misconception. <laughs> It's not only People for hoarder houses. Okay, and I just want to say shout out for mental health. We, The Lonely Lady Club is sensitive to that. If you really are a hoarder and you mentally have that condition, our heart goes out to you, right? We believe in mental health and Well, here's the thing. So my like background that. is in social work. That's what I've done for the longest. Okay. So I actually was a social worker. And so really, that's what I do still. I just get paid differently. I get paid by buying the asset. Yeah, you are because this is something that's so impactful on a man or a woman. I mean, it could even lead to suicidal ideations or thoughts. Just having the, yeah. the walls literally come down around you. Yeah. I mean, there are men out there who feel like their family would be better off without them because they're in a distressed situation. I mean, it, it, in like all transactions, I try to do business win, win, win. And that's exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm.
and you're beating uh, the banks, which for me is epic because in my 17 year journey, you know, in the banking system, I witnessed a lot of things that I don't agree with that I think are wrong. And so, um, so imagine like banks make money on a foreclosure, just so your audience knows they make money anywhere between four and five different times in different ways. Preach. So what happens is they, they have the debt and the debt. So you've heard of PMI. Yes. So what is PMI? Private mortgage insurance, it insures the lender against the default. The lender, but I have to pay for it. Oh, yeah. I, as a borrower, am paying to insure the lender? Right, but we call it insurance. That way there's an implied benefit to you, even though it's really just a tax. It's called private mortgage insurance, but it was changed because it used to be called lender paid insurance. Yeah. That's what it used to be called. So here's what happens. So you, you default on that. Guess what? So the lender gets paid on that. Then there's something called a CDO or CDS. Mm-hmm. It's called a credit default swap. So these are mortgage-backed securities. They have these credit default swaps. So if there's a credit default, guess what? They get paid out on that as well. And then if they take the asset back, Mm-hmm. And they sell it, they get paid on that again. So that's three ways right there. And if the ability to repay wasn't fully verified by the banker in the beginning, like let's say I violate and I don't look at the pay stubs or I don't properly calculate the ability to repay, that um, can actually, the foreclosure can actually come back against the lending institution in a small brokerage. I think the fine is upwards of like a million dollars a day for every day that the loan was on the book if you violate ATR. It's ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's like some crazy amount that'll bankrupt you in 30 seconds. Yeah, the, the authors stack completely against you. But then, I mean, these banks are making money hand over fist when they take these properties back, which is why they don't want to work with you. Mm-hmm. They have no, they're not incentivized to work with you. They want you to lose their house because if there's not a credit, or if there's not a default, then they don't get lender paid insurance. They don't mm-hmm. get the credit default swaps. And so what's happening here is they're like, sorry, 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 which is why their loan approval process for like loan mods are like, oh, I'm sorry. It's so funny because like you'll go to someone like, oh, I'm trying to do a loan modification. I'm like, oh, um, you're 36 days out. I'm sorry. We have a, we have a policy. Yeah, you're not late enough. Your credit's not ruined enough. Yeah, or, or it's like mm, your auction is in 36 days. I'm sorry. You have to be at least 37 days. You're just one day late. Like they have this bullshit rule that they created. Like 36, like you can't do a loan modification because you don't have enough time. <laughs> I'm like, excuse, what's going on here? Like, they have no desire to help you. Like, the banks, when you realize the banks are not out there to help you, then you're, you can really start to, to see what's really there. But people think, like, oh, they're going to help. I've called my bank. They're working with me mm-hmm. right now. I'm like, they're not working with you. They're working against you. Mm-hmm. They, just, they just make you think, which is why California passed a law that said you can't, you can't do, do what's called dual tracking. Mm-hmm. You can't have a loan in a loan modification process and in a foreclosure process at the same time. Because what California was doing during the, 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 the Great Recession in 2008 to 2012 is these people are thinking of getting a modification at the same time. The bank's like, ah, oh, fuck you. We're going to go ahead and foreclose on it. And these houses were getting foreclosed on. And these people are like, but I was doing a loan modification mm-hmm. and all these people lost their houses. I was sitting at Wells Fargo Home Mortgage for my mortgage career during that time. And that was, I would be faxing modification documents and trying to stop foreclosure proceedings. I was an internal employee at the company and I couldn't get the them to um, speak horizontally. It was all vertical. And so there would be foreclosure proceedings started on people that were invalid mods and not even just a regular modification, but the home affordable modification program that was out there for uh, yeah. from Obama. It's crazy. So distressed. Property means that the person living there is in distress making the payment. It doesn't mean that the property is junk or the walls are caving in or that it's distressed, which is what I sheepishly thought. Okay. Um, So that's amazing. And also you're buying this property subject to the person's loan being paid off and you're just committing to take over those monthly payments. So let me ask you this. That loan still reports to that person's credit. Is that right? So every month they're now getting credit for on-time mortgage payments. I've had people that I've taken over the payments for their house have their credit shoot up and they've gone in like two or three years time and bought cars and bought brand and bought a new house. You can, yeah, you can buy a new house. You know what? Matter of fact, you can wait three years and then buy a new house and you'll be considered a first time home buyer again. Um, I don't know if that's going to be because on the credit report it will show up. But they're not on that title. 
That's true. And, and it, I don't know how the loan. The, the, it says if you haven't been on title to a home in the last three years. Oh, there you go. It doesn't say it doesn't prohibit a mortgage from being also. But that would be one gnarly letter of explanation, and I'm willing to write that. So you. Oh, it's funny because I get, I get called all the time from lenders like, "Hey, can you help me understand why this person says that they don't have a mortgage anymore, but on their credit report?" I'm like, I don't know. Credit reports sometimes just. I mean, here's the HUD. You can see that it was paid, right? You can see that we bought this property. They're like, oh yeah, you're right. I don't know. Sometimes credit reports just like reports stuff crazy. Yeah, we're like, oh, I don't know, Fair Isaac. You know how he is. And that's right. Go uh, yeah. What? Call, call trans. You know, experience. Let them figure that out. <laughs> um. Wow. I had written down right here. What are the benefits to the actual seller? And like, I never expected to get so many benefits. It's yeah. crazy. Okay. I'll tell you what. Peace of mind. Like, I have one woman. Her name is Eva Stone. And she lives in Las Vegas right now. We took over her house after she she was on. That's a total Las Vegas name. Eva Stone. Eva Stone. Eva Stone. Well, she moved there afterwards. She's a, she's, she's a beautiful person. I love her. She's um, I get I get uh I get Christmas cards. I get uh, Mother's Father's Day cards. I get like Happy Thanksgiving. Just like yeah. She's like you are my guardian angel. Like I love you so much. Thank you for all that you've done for me and my family. Yeah. Like things like that. Like it's worth more than the money that I make. There's no yeah. change in someone's life that she could move on and be happy. Yeah, I get to help first-time homebuyers who I got them into a pro their first property for like $3,000 out of pocket. And they're now buying their second home. Those people made $200,000 in equity over the last couple of years. Love they're it. selling that, buying a new home. And, you know, I get to participate in, you know, their next level of wealth. And you're lender for life. Yeah. yeah. And it's like there was a big barrier to entry when they tried to enter the market. And, you know, who was declining them and, and not giving them the best service would be online banks, but also the big five, the big five banks, because you don't fit into their little narrow box. Oh, man, they are so restricted these days. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, we're factory people, right? Like, if you want a Nike shoe, we aren't going to Famous Footwear. This guy and I, we're getting catalogs. We're the factory. We're going to have right. all the options. Um, <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I thought was super cool, and my audience will too, because, you know, I'm always trying to find ways to make you a little extra cash. Um, if, if somebody finds a distressed property and a distressed homeowner and, and connects you and they, they give you the information, the contact information, and you move forward and you're able to help that person out and do a deal, you will actually pay and legally pay a finder's fee of five hundred dollars for yeah, the person that marketing budget. I would prefer that they actually make an introduction to me and like say, "Here, here's the homeowner I've talked to, and they, they know you're calling because that way I can pay like a thousand bucks because you actually take an extra step, the extra you know initiative to you know look for a property and actually like do some work and find the person." And so, and so they have to be a licensed real estate agent. No, no, not at all. I'm not licensed. I checked the DRE. He's not licensed. No, I'm not. I never will be licensed. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Um, in fact. You were mentored by somebody for about like a year, right? It was, yeah. And do you think that was key in, in helping you understand it, things? Oh, well, yes. Because like, here's what happened. So I, I lost my job. I lived in Tahoe. And um, unless you're in hospitality, you're not going to find a job in Tahoe. I'm not in hospitality. <laughs> and so um, he reached out to me. Um, and he's like, hey, uh, why don't you come to Georgia and I'll teach you how to do this real estate stuff? And I'm like, I don't know, man. That's a big, big jump. But I ended up doing it. Like, I just trusted him. And I had, we, had, we had a relationship before that. So anyway, I drove out to Georgia. And I was homeless for about three and a half, almost a month. Mm -hmm. um, he had a little office in the back. It's about the size of this, a little like room closet. And I slept <laughs> in the back of his office on the floor um, while I learned real estate from him. And um, in three weeks, I got my first deal. I made $20,000. And I called my wife and said, pack your bags. We're moving to Georgia. Aww. And then I just followed him around for a, for a year and just learned everything that he was doing. The guy was set up. He was just really smart, really um, creative, outside the box, old school thinker, just really good businessman. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I think paying it forward in, in the form of mentorship is a really a good gift to honor a career that's been well There's lived. There's no way. There's no way yeah. I would be to where I'm at today if it wasn't for him and his loving kindness. Same thing like when loan officers newly licensed come to me and they're like, all right, so where's the training program? It's like. Here's the training program. Here's your desk. Here's your phone. Good luck. You're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> and you're lucky that they have the internet because a lot of people started with just phone books. So. I, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to ask you a question and you tell me, is my fear rational or irrational? All right. 
I'm afraid to buy long-term holds in rental properties in California because of the politics. Meaning that if someone squats or stops paying the rent, I'm going to be screwed. Rational or irrational? Um, it's irrational, but you also have to make sure you have to count your costs too. Like you have to know where you're at financially. Because let's say that you do buy, like you do buy a property and you're just paycheck to paycheck, and they don't pay you. Sure. Morally, you're obligated to make that more that payment for somebody because you took over the mortgage. And so, morally and legally, right? Legally, no. They, I mean, there's a recourse. What, what are they going to do? House goes to foreclosure. You. Get a bad name. I mean, it's a, it's like a thing. This mm-hmm. is why you have to be really ethical with how you do this. Um, I mean, it could sue you. It could sue you for anything, really. right? But it's just kind of one of those territories where you need to navigate with nobility. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I have had, uh, all my all my tenants are paying right now. Fortunately, a couple months ago, I had one guy like four months late, mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, let's, let me try to work with them. And like, here you go, let's go ahead and take care of business. But what happens is, if you don't, like, if you are paycheck to paycheck and you jump into this and you're like, oh, I'm gonna do this. This is a really good idea. I did do that when I was on food stamps when I first got started. Like I was freaked out of my mind. But this is why I got seven properties so fast because I needed to build up my cash flow in order to mitigate if something did go wrong. Okay, so you had the kind of the horse before the cart there, but you made it work. I did, yeah. There were nights where I was really like stressed, waking up like two thirty, thirty in the morning, just like. Oh, yeah, I mean, it all works out. Is you if you here's the thing about life is you know we're all going to hit these roadblocks and we're all going to like just sometimes be frozen with fear. But if you let the fear freeze you and you don't move forward, then you're stuck. So just keep moving. Eventually things just like dissipate and they move and they work out in your, in your benefit. But you have to move. You have to take that, that action. Fair. What if the person's note that you're taking over is at kind of not so ideal terms or a funky interest rate? You don't have the legal right to refinance it, right? So do you just like consider helping them refinance it or no? Or do you just, just say, hey, it is what it is. These are the terms of the contract and just let it lie. So um, something I don't, I don't buy every house when they come across. Sure. Because, <laughs> sure. because they, they, they have weird funky like terms mm-hmm. like that. Um, I have helped a homeowner do a loan modification on some bad lo- some bad notes, and then you know two or three months into it, they're like, "Look, we just can't do this anymore." And I love those ones because you know <laughs> you've already lowered the payment, increased oh, yeah. the cash flow. Totally nice. So, so I'll, I'll definitely help that. But I'm trying to think. Like I have some, uh, some I, I have uh, I have a pay option arm. Do you remember what those are? Yeah, I certainly do. Pay option arm is where you can pay less than the interest, the interest. Principal interest, yes. a portion, yeah, and the the neg, is it neg am too? Yeah, yeah. Oh dear God! So I have one of those. What in the countrywide home loans is I know, going right? on? Seriously, thank you for for creating such a mar- marvelous thing. Actually, the World Savings that created the first one. Yes, and I was yeah. sitting at Wachovia Wells Fargo. We bought the World Savings portfolio, so I got to explain to everybody what a recast is every month. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so I have one of those loans right now in New York City and. Um, it, 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 it mysteriously now has just turned into a 30-year fix. And I'm like, I, oh. I didn't do anything to it. <laughs> it's all part of the plan. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, hey, that's okay with me. But yeah, it was weird how that worked. And all of a sudden it's like, we have decided to do this. And I'm like, hmm. And it's like some outfit, Gregory funding. I'm like, this is some weird like, service that I've never heard of before. So one of the things that um, really attracts me to kind of your whole, it gives us synergy, I, I would say, Aside from the amazing money-making skills that you have through real estate, which is a passion of mine, and diversity and income streams, and teaching my clients how to do that, and we haven't even gotten into the way that you set up your corporations for tax benefits. That's like a whole other podcast. But your kind of motto... surprise you that I don't have a corporation. <sighs> what? I don't. So how are you writing off, you know, any all the repairs and things that you do for these properties? So everything I have is in trust. Okay. Every property... Is a specific trust, and okay. I have a, a master trust. And the trust is what. Do you prefer the trust to the LLC? I do. I, I want. I want anonymity. I don't want to be on public record. I don't want people to know who I am. So the trustee is someone that's not related to me at all. So I don't own anything on paper. I'm broke. I get food stamps if I wanted to. So you're like this stealth 
real estate investor that like drives around, finds, finds people that are having a hard time and helps them solve that mm-hmm. and then makes money off of it. Yeah, I control it, but I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't own it. I assume me. Well played, man. Well played. Yeah, I'm like, you can just do your corporation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you can't, what are you going to do? So someone, someone wants well, to, so one, one of my trusts, here you go, here's a house that's over encumbered. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you have to create a family limited partnership and then revest your property into that and then move your trust and all these crazy steps. So I didn't realize um, that through your method, I didn't think about the anonymity part of it. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So you like to help yourself by helping others which right. is really, really cool, right? Because there's no secret. Like, you're not hoarding all this amazing information. Like, you're there. You're freely giving it away to people who are interested and committed to learning about it. And in fact, 90 days ago, I saw online that you were willing to give a financial gift, and it was also sort of a, an experiment in, in your in your yes. part. And that was where you essentially, you were going to accept like around 10 people who wanted to learn from you. So you would become the mentor and they would get to participate in the process, see how you negotiate and speak with the seller, see how everything comes together and materializes kind of from start to finish. And you were willing to do that for free, right? So the catch was, is that they just had to be committed, available, and, you know, basically have... Willing to do the work. Yeah, willing to do the work, right? Here's a gift, like, do something with it, like, you know, change your life. I want to... So that was launched according to YouTube like three months ago. How'd that go? Oh, this really. No one did anything. Failed miserably. At, around the same time, though, I actually was speaking at an event and I um, was selling the same exact course and a guy bought it and went out and two weeks later made $50,000. He was like hustling, hustling, hustling. I'm like, shit. There's my answer right so there. So he, he, he like left your training, right? Went, found a distressed property, right? And then actually contacted the owner on his own, right? Mm-hmm. Introduced the idea and then called you. He did three ways. Okay. And then he would, he would call me at night, like, hey, what's going on? What I said here? I'm like, can you handle it? Or he sent me an email. He had a response. Yeah, I helped him out, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. So you took that one over, I think it was like 300000 and then you would you consider it that you flipped it? Oh, we wholesale it. So we you wholesale we flip it. the contract, we flip the paper. So wholesaling basically is you find a property, you get it under contract. So in this case, 300000 And then we go find another person that wants to buy that same property for whatever we want to you know, mark it up for. So we marked it up for $50,000. Found an investor that wanted to buy that property for three fifty. Go to a title company. Title company pays off the original owner at three hundred thousand. Cuts us a check for fifty. New owner gets title and goes and you know. What about the commissions for realtors? Where does that come into play? So there was no realtor involved in the situation. So how do you make sure that your contract verbiage is like legit? Um, as far as like, are you required to do disclosures? That's a great question. So the seller actually was a real estate agent, and so he provided his own disclosures, but was not acting as an agent. He's actually a broker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. So. I, so, yeah, California requires that you do do certain disclosures, and there are some people who just don't know. So, yeah, whenever I buy a property, I do all of those disclosures. Okay. Yeah. And you just learned on your own? Yeah, I learned on my own, plus um, I've partnered with real estate agents in the past. Um, so I had a partner, a long-term partner for a number of years that was an agent, and I have another one who's a broker. And so, uh, yeah, I definitely CYA. Okay, yeah, I would, in the beginning, if I was looking into doing this, I would more than likely cut into the deal some commission to pay my own agent just for property disclosures, because I had a deal go bad in Cincinnati, Ohio, that was for sale by owner and handled by an attorney, and that really hurt me. Um, in fact, I'm going through recourse right now. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing, though, and this is, this is a, this, I don't want to, you know, badmouth real estate agents. However, my experience, this is my personal experience, has been, unless the agent is an investor, they just, they muck up the situation. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, oh, you, you have to pay off that house, or... Oh, I see. They oh. have to be knowledgeable about yeah. this so type of transaction. So, uh, my a guy who I taught this to, he lives. Uh, he, has, he works in Manteca, and he has a property on the market on the MLS because he's a licensed agent. Mm-hmm. And all these agents are coming through, and he's doing contracts for D because it, the house isn't warranted. He can't sell it. He owes more on it than, than he, he can get for it without paying, you know, out of pocket to, to pay it off and get a sell, you know, pay commissions and stuff like that. 
So these real estate agents are coming through and they're like, you're not going to get the title? Oh no, do not do this. This is a scam. He's ripping you guys off. This is just a bad deal. And I'm like, who the hell are these people that say that? Like, because here's the, here's like the reality of it. If you're, if you're a licensed real estate agent, you cannot give legal advice. You represent the person as far as the contracts go, but that that's where your your, your fiduciary responsibility ends at that point. Mm. When they're giving like legal advice, like, oh, this is a scam. Like, you've now crossed the line there. You can be held liable for. Mm. And so, I mean, because the buyer or the seller, you know, in this in this in this instance or in this case, the, the buyer doesn't know what the real estate's true duties are. They just think like, oh, mm-hmm. this person is going to represent me. They're going to be smart about. They're going to protect. They're going to protect me. But yeah, when he's like saying, oh, this is a bad idea, you're, you're, you're getting yourself into a bad situation financially and all that stuff, like, they mm-hmm. cross the line there. Yeah, I mean, you do have to be really careful. It happens a lot, and it's innocent on my customer's part. They're asking me questions about, you know, their tax return or how they should file it or this and that. And, you know, they're they're not doing it to be bad. They just don't realize that I can't give tax advice and not a licensed CPA. I know the answer, but at the end of the day, I have to be careful and do not conduct business I'm unlicensed for. So the way you do that is, like, you know, I'm not licensed to tell you that, but if it were me, this is how I would handle it. Yeah, or if you were my grandma, this is what I would tell her yeah, exactly. or something like that. This is my hypothetical yeah, so advice. Yeah, but it's the same thing. It's like, and I feel bad for this guy because he's, he's just getting, he's just getting read. I'm like, dude, get it off the MLS. Yeah. Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist is where I sell all of my properties. Craigslist. Craigslist, yes. Most like underutilized tool out there in Facebook Marketplace. I sell more houses on Facebook Market than anywhere. <laughs> this is epic. It is. Um, well, I do a video walkthrough. I'm like, hey, everybody, want this house? 10, 10% down. We're selling for 10%. Yeah, I, I asked him before we hopped on the camera. I'm like, hey, listen, I saw you filming yourself and walking, and I just want to know, like, what kind of tool are you using? He's like, that's my arm. My arm. <laughs> it's this arm right here. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no guns allowed here. Yeah, it's the gun-free zone. Um, so you got some wealth beneath your belt. You're sitting on a portfolio of real estate. You know, you're not confined to society's, um, what they say you need to be doing with your time, right? Correct. Yeah. I'm definitely not uh, falling into that category. Right. So that creates some time for you to come out with passion projects and other endeavors. Right. And, um, there's one that's really, really cool that you have and it's your podcast. Okay. Okay. Tell us the name of your podcast. It's called Topless Talk. Which is totally fine. It doesn't mean that everybody's topless. Okay. It means that there's no topic that's left untouched. Yeah, no topics are off limits. But, I mean, if you want to be topless, it's a free country and I'm not hating. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, most of our guests are topless, but yes. But it's a fantastic call. Like, it's a fashion product. Like, I love it. One of the things I like about it is it's a thousand interviews to change one million lives. It's relationships, sex, the good, the bad, the ugly, and it's real and it's raw. I've learned so much about this. Like, I was so vanilla in, when I started this, and I'm like, oh, really? You can do that? Okay, we're going to go home and try practice, practice this at home now. And so, like, I've learned so much stuff. Like, you have a person who comes, they give you all this lifetime of experience. And so every interview I've gotten, I'm like, well, shit, I just you know, gained another lifetime and another lifetime and another lifetime. I feel that way right now because I thought I knew everything that there was to know about buying <laughs> and selling real estate. This is the blessing of, of having like a podcast. Yeah. Because people just come and they pour out and they just give you so much great information. You're like, I'm, and, I'm better for this. And you don't realize that, you know, when you're doing your due diligence and your research in order to have your guests come on your podcast, you are learning a shit ton. Yes. It was like, I wanted to like text you last night, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this and this and this and this. And I was like, okay, Joanna, calm down. Wait until the morning. Yeah. Um, okay. And then another like super cool thing, okay, is you recently bought a building. It's a church building, right? It's a church, yes. And what is your intention with this building? Oh, God. Um, on the surface and then for the community's um, purposes, it's going to be a community center. Of course. Yeah, it's going to be a, a hall that can be rented out for quinceaneras and things like that. But... Behind the scenes, what it really is, it's going to be a plant-based medicine uh, healing center. So we're going to offer um, like uh, ayahuasca and mushrooms and things like that for people just to do some internal reflecting and just some, some internal healing. Mm-hmm. But there's also a basement. And the basement we have converted into a BDSM kind of playroom dungeon for sexual healing. So it's going to be a basically a sanctuary. It's going to be a spiritual on the top and sexual on the bottom. The so 
the basement really goes in good connection with kind of your podcast show and that content, right? Those work together really well. The upstairs with the plant-based medicine, for me, that's something that I'm passionate about because expanding your consciousness is something that's truly, truly important to the human experience because we have just been so programmed um, with rhetoric and agendas and sometimes to to kind of go into a different space of consciousness Mm -hmm. is the best learning that you you can you can have right well yeah it is because you know when you realize that your consciousness is connected to the universal consciousness like that's what makes everything just kind of tie itself together when you realize that you and i are the same mm-hmm. that we're connected mm-hmm. that I'll, i'm going to treat you the same now instead of like if i see you like because because what, what society wants us to do is they want to put this wall they want us to be different yeah they want us to put it you know you got yeah, left versus right you know um blue versus red whatever you know black versus white whatever it may be they want these differences because that's how you control the masses if you can if you can create a division now you can now you can create control but what happens is when you go into like this universal consciousness and you just realize like, hey, I can go ahead and I can heal, then you realize <clears throat> everybody is the same. You're going to treat them the same. Mm-hmm. And this is where like this love and this harmony comes from. And like, man, like I really like I was starting to do this with my books, like trying to get out there and help people. But I didn't realize why I was doing it, but I felt like there was this, this need inside my heart. And like now I'm like, oh god, now I understand it a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I should probably tell you too for your <clears throat> for your audience, they may not know what BDSM is. Do you know what BDSM is? Yeah. Okay, so I mean, you can just think of like Fifty Shades of Grey, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's. Sadomasochism. Yeah, so it's bondage. Bondage, yeah. yeah. Dominatrix. Yeah, bondage and dominatrix, sadomasochism. So it's basically the, maybe not, maybe not kinkier, but it's like the, but it's like the fringe part of sexuality. But this is the craziest thing. Like when you get into bondage, like you're talking about a trust issue here. Yeah. And so I've worked with some rape victims who are like, oh my God, like, you know, I, I have trauma around, around just being around somebody and tied up. It's just like, I can't do this. And mm-hmm. like, if you can do it in a way that's very therapeutic, they can overcome because one, they have a safe word and they know that it's in a safe place mm-hmm. and that they're in control. And if they can go through the experience and then realize that they were in control the entire time, it just heals the trauma completely. Yeah. And I mean, what you're talking about is soothing physically, the fight or flight response, getting into your hippocampus, getting the soothing feelings to come out and being in control of that. Right. Yeah. yeah I lived the, the majority of my life until I was about 35 years old in a perpetual state of fight or flight. Okay. Okay. And I didn't understand how sick that I actually was from that until the extent that my melanin started dying and I got an autoimmune disease. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And now? And, and well, in end of 2018, beginning of 2019, my ego was completely shattered through a family situation. And that dark, dark time resulted in a massive amount of healing for me and a total metamorphosis oh, internally. Yeah. That I just, so I feel so healthy on the inside that it's now starting to overflow into my outside and I'm starting to get back oh, into my that. best body physically. It's been two weeks that I've been working on it now. I love to hear that. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's also, um, by me healing myself, it broke a lot of the generational curses that were beholden to my child. So oh, in doing that for me, I, it saved her. I love that. Right. And, um, actually a lot of it did start, uh, with a psilocybin, Oh yeah, uh, experience. I love that. Actually, psilocybin is amazing. Yeah, when I learned, I got to That's hear some hard truths about myself, and now I'm not afraid to, to face any of those things. So I'm willing to take a look at okay, what did I do wrong? How did I contribute to the situation? That's how ayahuasca was. For me. Really? It was so like because I, I yeah I had a situation where I was like I just ran from it, turned turned a blind eye to it, and it was like no, you need to actually. Face yeah, it takes the cognitive dissonance, and it just well, it destroys the ego. Like just, yeah, and my ego was just shattered. I'm like, you know what? But after the ceremony, I took up the phone and I made amends where I needed to make amends. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how it was received, I did what I needed to do to purify myself. Yeah, because when you have something that's in a darkness or in a hole and you bring it to light, mm-hmm. it heals 
instantly. So amazing. It's like unbelievable how quickly you can heal from things. People think it's going to take lifelong therapy, yeah. you know, 10, 15 years of, of therapy, but th th that's not always the case. Well, and this is the thing, too, that I stumbled upon, too. I mean, before I get off topic, but it's more like a, it's kind of a passion project. It's like, I believe personally that, you know, that we're just one orgasm away from releasing all of the pain and trauma and having healing. Like, this, you know, psilocybin or ayahuasca, like, these are all drugs that, that produces this chemical, like, euphoric stuff, but also, like, you know, human body chemistry, like through an orgasm, mm -hmm. is a huge release, and it can just be a, a cleanse for someone to just reset their their nervous system and start over. Yeah, it also produces a massive amount of oxytocin, like a bonding hormone that it you does. really need to be able to feel connection to others, feel connected that we are all one, right? Because yeah. without that bonding hormone, I mean, you're just kind of floating around on your own, and, and that's a hard yeah. way to live life. So. Um, that's super cool. I can't wait. Please, please make sure that I am extended an invitation when your plant-based medicine yeah. place is open and running. I'm a huge fan. So you're, yeah, probably uh, about the first of January. Wow, that's coming up quick. Yeah, the remote will be That's the down. blink of an eye there. Yeah. We'll jump into January with a whole new mindset. <laughs> <laughs> um, so bringing okay, so bringing it back to making money through distressed properties. Yes. I want to know. Okay. I want to know if I committed. To take advantage of your free training and your mentorship program, and fully committed myself in order to um, basically invest in and help my first distressed homeowner and add an income generating property in my portfolio, would you rock with me? And could we set a follow up to shoot my experience in, in navigating one of those transactions? Yeah, most definitely. Because I absolutely want to help my viewers learn how to make more money okay. and how to be happier and how to shift their mindset. And around money, it's like everything works together. Like, yeah, he's talking about ayahuasca. He's talking about BDSM, which has a polarity because if, you, crazy. if you're in a masculine energy all day, you need something to level yourself out. I mean, just watch the show Billions yeah. and tell me about the attorney general and what he does, right? I well, mean, you're right. Well, here's the thing, too, is most of the women that are in very high profile jobs, like they want to just come home and just release and just give up control. And I'm like, mm -hmm. wow. Like, I'm talking about like CEOs of some huge corporations. Mm -hmm. um, can't disclose who because. Confidentialities, but it's just amazing how much they just want to give up because mm -hmm. they're sick and tired of just being in control the entire time and making executive deci decisions all day long. So if you were to, if that woman was to come home and it's her so husband healing. looked at her and said, "What's for dinner?" and she said, "I don't know," he said, well, "What do you want?" It's gonna be a fight. Yes, most of these women are single, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> because two alphas just don't get, about, get along very well. You know, they have to be a beta man. That could be the, the case too. Okay, well then I'm gonna hold myself to it. I'm gonna commit and do the training program, yeah. and I am going to walk this because I wasn't a fan of trying to purchase the multi-unit out-of-state property. I didn't like that experience. I got my, my feet wet. I got my ears wet too. But I want to I want to try doing this and then I want to go back and I want to report um, what so, it was like. Yeah, it's really simple. I mean, just like your viewers as well. Like, the biggest problem is, is identifying. Like you have to identify the, the right property. Just because a property is, and this is like I tell this people all the time, just because a property is vacant doesn't mean they have to sell. Mm -hmm. Make, if it's been vacant for 10 years, it'll be vacant for another 10 years. Like, what is their motivation? Like, you have to figure out what is the person's motivation for making a decision today. Mm -hmm. And so, when you talk about, like, finding, like, a distressed person, like, that's different. Because people, especially with foreclosures, like, there's a timeline that is, is pushing them to make an act, to make a, yeah. a decision. Mm -hmm. So, foreclosures are, is an easy place to start. It's mm -hmm. also where a lot of competition is, too. But, yeah, sure. I'll definitely help you walk you through that process. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This has been an absolute pleasure.